Hi, I'm Denise St. Ivany, host of the Macquarie Think Again podcast. I'm excited to have a guest today from Macquarie, James Cowan. James has worked in private markets infrastructure for more than 20 years, focusing on numerous areas, acquisitions, financings, asset management, capital raisings, and fund formation. James oversees two institutional infrastructure funds. He joins us from the Toronto area today. James, welcome. And thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here today, Denise. Well, James, there's much our audience can gain from your knowledge of private markets and about infrastructure investing. Since our main focus today is unlisted assets, which may be less familiar to some of our audience, we're going to keep things high level and focus on the educational side. But let's just start with a public dialogue going on currently about infrastructure in the U.S. There's a lot of talk these days about what infrastructure is and what it's not. As an investor in this space, can you give us your view on how other investors could think about this? Sure, I'd be very happy to do that. Certainly, it's not only in the United States, but it's right around the world that governments, uh, labor leaders, business leaders, community leaders are talking about infrastructure and the need to invest in infrastructure. Uh, there's no doubt anyone driving in any major municipality, you can see the, the potholes in, in the street, the old telephone poles uh, that need replacing, uh, water concerns in some major metropolitan areas, the concerns about getting clean drinking water into houses, and the list can go on and on. So it's not surprising that it's the top of mind, and, and we're very pleased to see that. Now, we're private infrastructure investors, but the public sector has a major role to play in investing. And uh, President Biden has had uh, numerous plans, and uh, you've got to give him credit. He's trying to work with anyone he can to try and get a bipartisan package forward. And and maybe it's not bipartisan, maybe it will be just a a Democratic-led one. But uh, we think it's really important, really good for the U.S. to take the lead on that. And hopefully other countries right around the world will follow that and see greater public investment into infrastructure. What our role as a manager is to allow private capital, both from institutions and from retail investors. And just for, uh, I suppose, for the rest of the podcast to define retail investors, let's just call them everyone who isn't an institution, who isn't a big pension plan, who isn't a big insurance company. There are many, many different types of non-institutional investors high net worth, super high net worth, AIs, QPs, QCs, many, many different acronyms. But to keep it simple, let's just call them retail investors like you and me and our listeners. When you spoke recently at the Investments and Wealth Institute, you pointed out how the investment universe for infrastructure is not homogenous. What type of assets are often not the first to come to mind for investors, but which do qualify as infrastructure? It's a good question because many people, when they think of infrastructure, think of a great big utility, gas, electric, water, highways, bridges, the obvious. But there are many other things that are critical to a modern economy, and that's that's the definition we typically use of infrastructure. It's critical to the uh, uh, operations of a modern city, modern economy. So when you look at that, it's things like cell phone towers, fiber to the home, uh, hyperscale data centers, which have become so important during this COVID crisis, on and offshore wind farms, uh, vertically integrated waste, uh, getting the garbage out of municipal uh, areas and into disposal, landfill, waste to energy is essential. But many people don't think of that as infrastructure. And then also you could look at hospitals, schools, 
even prisons. That's not a place where private infrastructure really goes, but many of those uh, bits and pieces that are required in our economy are fall under that heading of infrastructure critical services. Yeah, the net is much wider than most people think of. Well, let's talk about inflation. What could a financial advisor accurately say to a client about infrastructure and its inflation protection characteristics? What are the nuances of it? Well, that's uh, another very topical question because infrastructure and inflation uh, seem to be dominating the headlines, uh, not quite to the the COVID or the East-West China uh, versus the U.S., but is certainly up there. And whether it's transitory or more longer lasting, there is no doubt that there is a permanent one-time bump happening this year. Inflation is up, it's back. Uh, Not many people perhaps will remember back to the 80s, but 15% mortgages, there were mortgage, short-term mortgages that went as high as 20% interest. So when today look at their mortgages and say, well, it might go from two to three or 4%, they may say, well, that's not much. No, that's, we can live with that. But when you compound the difference between a 1% inflation or two, three, 4% inflation over several years, it actually makes a huge impact on retail investors' wealth. And so they should be concerned, and therefore the financial advisors should be very concerned about that. It is a real risk. It may not happen, but it is a real risk. And that's one of the reasons why we see investing in infrastructure for the long term as not a panacea, but we see a link between infrastructure returns and inflation. Now, that may be as simple that for regulated industries, you have interests costs and inflation built into the regulatory reset mechanism. And so that allows utilities and anything that's regulated over the long term to tie their revenues and earnings into inflation and interest rates. So that's quite a direct link. You also have some long-term contracted industries, uh, hyperscale data centers, sometimes uh, cell phone towers, sometimes terminals at ports, where inflation is built into the contract or taken into account into the contract escalation over five, seven, 10 year periods. So again, a very strong linkage there. Uh, Another way that you see inflation actually being beneficial to infrastructure returns is critical big scale infrastructure has a very high fixed cost base. So you invest that in day one, and then you earn revenues off 30, 40, 50, even 75 years. Now you need to spend a few bucks every year to keep your kit in good order. But as inflation impacts over those future years, your fixed cost is anchored in past dollars, um, uninflated dollars. So the revenue inflation derives out, uh, out of scale, if I can call it that, growth in EBITDA. So again, it, it's not a hard link between infrastructure and inflation. I don't want people to get that impression, but there is a linkage. And over the last 20 odd years or so, it does show a positive correlation between infrastructure returns and inflation. Very good, thank you for that. Well, there are more investment vehicles available to accredited investors nowadays than there once were in the world of private markets. How has that generally evolved and why? Well, I think the why is uh, pretty clear in that there are tens of trillions of dollars held by institutional investors around the world, like a lot of money. 
retail investors hold more money and their proportion of the overall wealth pie is growing more quickly. So you've got two things happening there. Managers and RIAs are saying, wow, we've got to access this capital. You know, it, it is there. Uh, it, it's, it needs returns. We've got a good product and, and, and infrastructure that delivers capital preservation, capital growth, and yield. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty powerful package. Then you throw in things like linkage to inflation. That's very, very attractive. So we have realized, though, that after a number of years of trying, that institutional products structured for institutions doesn't work for retail investors. So we've had to come up with new ideas. And then on the other side, you have these retail investors holding tens of trillions of dollars who are not really happy with having a 60-40 equity bonds portfolio. And they're saying, why, why am I stuck with this? Well, all the, you know, the institutions and the big money, if you look at, you know, at a Bill Gates, uh, He's not investing on a 60-40 split by any means. You look at Harvard Foundation and their endowment, they're not doing a 60-40 split. So you have these retail investors calling up their advisors and saying, hey, um, I want to get access to this. And if the re- that, that uh, advisor can't do that, then the retail investor is going to look to another firm. So there's a, you know two very strong forces at work there. Right. That makes sense. Well, someone um, advising individual clients who may be doing planning from a goals-based perspective, you know, how does an advisor and client less familiar with the territory approach adding private real estate investments into a more traditional 60-40 portfolio that you mentioned of public funds? For example, what are some key criteria when considering asset types? Well, I think there are probably two um overreaching ways to look at it just uh, for uh, given the the uh, we don't want to talk for two or three hours which I'd be happy to do on this topic because it is really interesting is that first of all you, you need to look at the investor and you know when they look at capital preservation capital growth and yield what 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 do they really want to put the foot down on do they want all three are they you know much more focused on yield growth capital preservation. And that will determine whether they're going into a highly levered VC fund, private equity, then moving down the risk curve to a value-add infrastructure, which would be something like communications, digital communications, waste to energy, or are you moving into core infrastructure, uh, such as utilities, which would have a lower overall return but lower volatility still and a higher yield component. So, so you have to look at their their objectives. And I think the second way that you would want to look at it, if you're an investor or an RIA, is where are you going to pull the money from? So if you have an investor that's 60-40, let's just uh, pick on the average investor. And so she may want to move her equities or she may want to, to lower her, her bond allocation. Where that capital comes from should determine and inform the decision as where it goes. So if you're pulling it out of the fixed in component, you're more likely to be looking at infrastructure debt uh, or looking at uh, lower volatility infrastructure equity. If you're pulling out of equities, then again, you know, you're going to be more into the real estate uh, value add infrastructure private equity. Well, James, as investors do consider shifting around their assets, how should they think about risk? 
it's a good question because I think that some people have typified infrastructure as sort of supercharged government bonds because the general community uses the facility and generates the revenue. So they, they sort of see it as quasi-government, but it's not. And uh, we need to be very clear to uh, both institutional and retail investors. This is private markets. And if things, whether it be private equity, hedge fund, in commodities or infrastructure and real estate, things go up and things can go down. And as private markets, you can lose money. Now, uh, infrastructure has low, lower volatility, but private markets, uh, you know, it has risk uh, very clearly. Infrastructure specifically, because private infrastructure operates the essential services for any community, as you can imagine, there is a lot of uh, uh, eyes on what you're doing. And so even if you're not regulated by the government or, or a public utility commission, there is still very high political risk, and you need to be uh, aware of that. There's demand risk, GDP risk, so you can have those linkages as well. Interest rate and inflation generally are a little bit more supportive of infrastructure than other businesses, but they can, will have an impact. You need to be aware of that. But what we uh, want to ensure that everyone understands is Every investment has risk. There are different types of risks, and they need to ensure that their advisor is well aware and understands those risks of any of the private market uh, products so that they can make an informed decision. That makes perfect sense. Well, I know we've covered um, a good bit of information. I, I guess I'd be curious just on your overall outlook about the Again, this wide net of infrastructure investing. What's your overall outlook on the space, and um, you know how it all turns out for the users, if you will, not just the investors, but the actual users of all this infrastructure. Well, well, that's uh, uh, you know why we're why we're in this, and, and I must admit that uh, why I think we have such success in attracting young graduates into the field of infrastructure investing because you really you're, you're not just earning a return for our investors, and they're typically pension plans and retail investors. So, like everybody, every, just about everybody in the United States and Canada who has a if they have a pension plan they have an RSP, uh, 401, they're all invested in infrastructure. Um, so you know, you're making a return for the broader community. But by investing and renewing existing infrastructure, growing the infrastructure footprint in any community, you're really benefiting that community. And you know, sustainability is at the heart of what we do because we're not investing for a quarterly return. We're investing for a 50, 75-year return. So it's really exciting about that. And I think that um, you know, people used to kid me out at a, a pretty uh, uh, souped-up Jeep, and they would say, James, you don't go off-roading. Like, when there aren't even any mountains near where you live. And I would say, I, I drive my Jeep downtown because of the potholes. I I've got another car. If I'm going to go, you know, out to the country um, uh, and take a, a beat-up old uh, car to do that, um, you know, our, our infrastructure, you know, that's really holding us back economically, it, and it's holding back our communities. And so by investing both public sector and the private sector investing, we're going to build better communities. They're going to be more better paying jobs. And so, um, you know, I don't mean to get too carried away here, but it's, it's good work. Like we really enjoy it because of that, because what we can do for our communities. 
you're making a difference in so many different ways. Yeah, that's great. Well, I've really enjoyed our conversation today, and I'm sure others will um, pick up a bit of information here and be more educated about this space. So thanks so much for being here with us today and sharing your insights. It was my pleasure, Dean. Thank you very much for having me. This recording is intended for financial professionals and institutional investors only. This is not intended for use with the general public. The views expressed in this podcast represent those of the speaker and are subject to change. Nothing presented should be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security or follow any investment technique or strategy and does not constitute advice, an advertisement, an invitation, a confirmation, an offer or a solicitation to engage in any investment activity or an offer of any banking or financial service. Throughout this presentation, various securities and companies are referenced. Examples given are for illustrative purposes only and were not chosen based on performance. This is not a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. All examples herein are for illustrative purposes only and there can be no assurance that any particular investment objectives will be realized or any investment strategy seeking to achieve such objective will be successful. Past performance is not a reliable indication of future performance. Before acting on any information, you should consider the appropriateness of it with regard to your particular objectives, financial situation and needs, and seek advice. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made as to the accuracy or completeness of the information, opinions, and conclusions presented. In preparing this recording, reliance has been placed without independent verification on the accuracy and the completeness of all information available from external sources. Macquarie Asset Management is the marketing name for the Asset Management Division of Macquarie Group. Investment products and advisory services are distributed and offered by and referred through affiliates, which include Delaware Distributors LP, a registered broker-dealer and member of the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and Macquarie Investment Management Business Trust, a Securities and Exchange Commission registered investment advisor. Investment advisory services are provided by a series of Macquarie Investment Management Business Trusts. Other than Macquarie Bank Limited, none of the entities noted in this podcast are authorized deposit-taking institutions for the purposes of the Banking Act of 1959 from the Commonwealth of Australia. The obligations of these entities do not represent deposits or other liabilities of Macquarie Bank Limited. Macquarie Bank Limited does not guarantee or otherwise provide assurance in respect of the obligations of these entities unless noted otherwise.